Hey, this is Bob in the Don't Die Podcast, brought to you by Ohana Fest down in Dana Point, and brought to you by Live Nation, bringing you concerts all over the world. It all begins with getting off drugs, people. Let's go out and live life. Get sober, get the right treatment for you, and stop dying. Stop dying, Chuck. That's what we do around here. Day after day, we don't die. That is our theme song. That's our life philosophy, I would believe. That's my life philosophy. Yeah, we need a we need a theme song that says that. Stop dying, do 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 do, or something. Do, do, stop dying, do, 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 do. like a like a <laughs> like a Jesse's girl, like Rick Springfield could make. There you go. Stop dying. And this goes back to something that Buddy Arnold said on probably in nineteen ninety eight. I, I really got to know him well. I knew him for like five years before that as a client. And then I got to know him as a worker or volunteer around that. And he's a great musician helper to get some people sober. And he, it was his birthday and he didn't like birthdays and he didn't like, he didn't want the staff to get a birthday cake. And, you know, he's a cantankerous guy. And then I said, but it's your birthday. And he said, the only thing about good about birthdays is they beat the alternative. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, which is, dude, I, which is not having a birthday, which would be being right. dead. Right, my Amy, Amy was putting together a thing because my my twenty five years and my fifty five year birthday are a week apart, and I'm a day away from the birthday, and I just had the twenty five year thing a few days ago, and uh, she wanted to have this big thing, and it was just like, please don't, I don't enjoy it, it'll stress me out, and when I found out that. Tristan couldn't make it and that Sash couldn't make it because he's out in 29 Palms. And it ended up me and me, Amy, my mom and dad and Bug. I was just like, this is perfect. We'll just have right. a little meal. And I mean, well, there are certain birthdays that don't bother you. I'm trying to think uh, like 55 is a nothing birthday. That's not a that's not a big birthday. It is cool that 25 and 55. That's a cool sync up. But that's just something you notice this year. But the big birthdays. That I remember, like, I didn't want a 60 because 60 is a little scary. That 60 is close to the end. <laughs> 50, like, I, you know, we had, like, I don't know what I did for 50, but I did my 40th birthday. It was a big surprise birthday party. I kind of knew it was coming, but I was still cried and kind of overwhelmed by who did show up at it. But 40 seems like 22. Like 40 is a good age to celebrate. 50, yeah, still you're doing all right. You're still got a lot of road out ahead of you. 60, fuck that. Fuck birthdays. <laughs> Just yeah, one, but more, one more reminder that you're close to the end. You don't know. I don't know how close to the end I am. Could be 20 years. Could be six. Like, this is <laughs> fucked. Could be six hours. <laughs> could be six hours. <laughs> oh, my God. Somebody tried to home invasion burglarize my in-laws last night. I was going to go over there, but I realized I don't have guns. I don't have, I got a pellet gun. I don't have like what it takes well, you to could go over you there. You could piss them off really good with the <laughs> pellet gun. <laughs> I have a pellet gun that looks like, like, uh, like an automatic weapon. Oh, so Jesus. That's a good way to get killed. Intimidate. <laughs> is it? Is, or is it intimidating? I don't really know. If I got I a real gun, to, it's a good way to get dead. It. 
Well, I, I would just run from window to window showing it. Like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, I would think twice. I mean, I did, I'm, I'm not a mercenary. I did use it I one would... time in Joshua Tree. So, you know, I'm a car chase fanatic. Just love car chases. And and this one car chase, I was listening on the po police radio. I used to be way more obsessed. Because in Joshua Tree, there's not a lot to do. I know a lot of hipsters like living out there. Listen, I lived out there for fucking nine years. It's boring as shit 80% of the time. There's only <laughs> so many sunsets you can look at. You know what I mean? He's only like, so was uh, Pioneer Town even jumping back then? Was Pappy and Harriet's even having real no, shows? No, originally I lived right by the park, right on Park, uh -huh. the, right on Joshua Tree. Mike was out there, so I I lived in three different places. One I bought in two thousand one because I thought the world was ending. Right, going up to I the think main you were entrance right. of the park. <laughs> I, yeah, I was just 20 years ahead. <laughs> yeah. I was just too far out. I was too far out ahead of it. Yep. But but I got this place. I remember fifty thousand dollars for a one bedroom house and five acres. Fifty thousand dollars. I put five thousand dollars down. I mean, that's <laughs> insane. I bought a house for five thousand dollars. <laughs> that's like you can't buy a car nowadays and put five thousand dollars down. No, no so, shit. So I had that place, and then the real estate market blew up. I sold it for $100,000, like 2004 or something. And then, then I was not going to be in Joshua Tree. Then I longed for it to go on the weekends, and I leased, uh, rented a place out on uh, Yucca Mesa. And that's where mm -hmm. I lived when I commuted into town. Like that was the greatest because I yeah that's a, a half hour closer to town isn't it I mean that's, yeah, well, that's right go, at the top I would of go the hill the backside dude I'll go a hundred on that Johnson Valley two lane road at like six in the morning like there's nobody out there you know the back way you don't go down to the ten you go the back way and it comes down no, the fifteen I, I could make it back way. I could make it depending on what more time in the morning i left i could make it to Los encinas hospital in an hour and 15 minutes from joshua tree really but nice. i wasn't i was breaking the law almost the entire time breaking the law well, but uh so anyways then i then i moved to las vegas to work in the courts out there and got rid of that house and then that's when i got pioneer town i had that up until like i don't know we moved here like three years four four years ago we had it for a while, and then we just never went there. There are certain people that just don't like the desert. Like Chrissy, Chrissy's not a desert person; she's a beach person. Do you know that? Uh -huh. Do you know that people like like I'm in every, every I'm in anywhere we can go person. Like I just like to go. Like kind of like Bob Dylan talks about. Want to go to the beach? Yeah. Want to go to the mountains? Yeah. Want to go to the desert? Yeah. Want to go to Mexico? Yeah. Want to go to you know anywhere? Want to go to Montana? Yeah. Want to drive to Oklahoma? Yeah. I just, I love going places, <laughs> but certain people, when they're asked to go somewhere, go, I don't, I, isn't it hot out there? It's like, it never That's, dawns on uh, me. Isn't it hot out there? Like, I, yeah. I'm guilty, dude. The, the, if so there's not a, a body, guy. You're a fucking if there's not guy. water, if there's not water and, and it, it's landlocked and it's going to be hot. Nah, I, I'm not that interested. Well, Mike Unless there's was big a trees. desert. Mike was a desert beach guy, were you not, Mike? You'd go to Morongo Valley where your mom had the house. Yeah, I would. I'm not like you. I just like to go and be. I just like I to go. Like, yeah, Mike matter. used to go. Morro but I can't Bay. stay in one place too long. That's my problem. Right. 
and that's me too and so so anyways uh it, it just it just got to be a bit boring out there living there full time and then i saw victoria williams i always tell the story so all the people that live out there kind of know each other but you only see each other in town kind of like mayberry like unless you go into <laughs> andy's and walk by andy's sheriff station you're not gonna really see him so i'm in yucca valley at or joshua tree at the at the health food store and victoria williams walking out i've known her since 1981 she says and it's a weekday and she goes what are you doing out here bob because she had known i was what's known as a weekender for <laughs> ten, you know years and years and the uh and the real joshua tree residents kind of looked down on the weekenders sure but they oh, also yeah. but but some of my good friends like ted and and um johnny vargas they would know that on Sundays, you know, I go back into town and they would say, hey, next weekend, can you stop at Trader Joe's? So I would have different people's lists of shit they wanted that you can't get in Joshua Tree. And they, <laughs> called, it, and they called it going down below. Like you're going down <laughs> below to hell, to LA. You know, and it'd be everything from like, can you go to Skylight Books and get this book that I ordered to, can you get me cinnamon sugar chips at Trader Joe's and all these kind of lists. And I didn't mind. I, I was the weekender guy. I was the go low guy on the totem pole. So like, I'm there on a weekday and Vic goes, uh, what are you doing here, Bob? And I was like, I live here, Vic. And she's like, yeah, but I mean, it's Wednesday. And I was like, I know I moved out here full time. And she goes, Oh, Bob, you're not, you're not full time out here. Quality, you're gonna go nuts. <laughs> I remember telling you that. Like she knew me. She's like, you're gonna no, no, no. You shouldn't live out here full time. You're a good weekender. Bob, have you been out there lately? It's just packed. We went on the weekend. It's, it's, it's packed. It's unrecognizable. The entrance of 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 Joshua Tree is like there's a there's an Airbnb, there's an Airstream Park. There's you know it's just it's insane. Well, even trying to go get coffee like at the Beatnik or what used. Oh uh, my god! That, it's like unrecognizable there's a line out from, the block down the block. Yeah, and from I, when and, me and you, you know, used to go out there and stuff. It's I, I'm just like, wow, man. Well, you got to go a little further down the road. Like Sasha's back in Twenty Nine Palms with his mom. I know. Yeah. I've been thinking about that. The, the well, the first place I was going to get like in '88 was past Twenty Nine Palms, Wonder Valley, the, Wonder Valley. Yep. That like that was desolation row. Like I was trying to live like the vanishing point life for a while. Cause I thought, you know, drugs are such a problem with the police in Los Angeles. Is there a place you can go and just take drugs peacefully and not have to be so paranoid? Wonder and Valley. Wonder Valley. <laughs> <laughs> yes. There's the there's the palms. Uh, there's the palms. Yeah, with the big elk guy out in front. <laughs> like, they have the noise. They have the noise dude, festival it's out almost, there. Wonder Valley back in the 80s and 90s when I was going out there. It shut. It was almost almost mandatory. You take methamphetamine if you were going to be a part of the community. Now this one's not high. He's got to go. And I had gotten this house that was like sublet for like a month by month, and uh, 
it had the it was a nice little house right it had well water though and it, it was up so here's the thing this well water is above ground like one of those old-fashioned wells and the guy comes and puts water in it it's 110 degrees that water is so hot <laughs> when it comes into your house it's like you don't need hot water you just need the water and it's like it was unbelievable that was the only thing i know but so then i meet this guy that i was procuring me heroin because it was a little difficult to find out there in the upper desert by the way and uh and he goes hey there's a house for sale on the back side now backside of wonder valley like where exactly is that because you're already on the edge of civilization so imagine what's on the back side of it. so he takes me it's only ten thousand dollars for this house he takes me like the 10 miles past uh that 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 bar mike the going out and it becomes a dirt road back then that goes over to the other road that goes to amboy yeah. we're on this dirt road I'm following him. He's in his car. And, we, and then we pull up to this house, literally like, um, you know, like the hills have eyes canyon. No other house around. And he shows me this house. It's just a scout. It's just a brick, you know, homestead frame of a house. No windows, no roof. And I go, mm. he goes, what, what is the deal? And he goes, it's my, it's my uncle's. Uh, sister's house or some weird connection and, and they'll just take 10 grand and I go dude I don't have I, like what we would take to fucking put a roof on it and he goes oh it's not much and I was like well why don't you put a <laughs> roof on it and put windows in it and then then maybe somebody would buy it and he goes well you got 10 grand and then I thought I'm in the middle of nowhere with a messed <laughs> out crazy guy <laughs> you, you follow me yeah, you were about to go in a hole. <laughs> and, and so I, I said, yeah, well, okay, let's do it. I got to talk to my guy back in L.A. Yeah, I want to do it. Like, just to get out of there, right? Because mm -hmm. I felt like if I don't say yes to this, he's going to kill me and bury me out here and take my car. Well, the thing um, is, is, is you can't leave the property once you're out there because somebody will just come and take all everything that you put there. They'll come and take it. That's oh, no shit. Huh, sure. you, you gotta, you but gotta I don't stay think they it. could find this place. Like, this place is oh, really. Oh, he can tell them. <laughs> I'll tell you where there's a house full of shit for a hundred bucks. <laughs> How could you, but, but he showed me a house like it's a real, like, desirable thing. In the middle of nowhere, it had no electricity. I didn't even know if it had water uh, thing, it didn't have a tower. And that's got no roof and no windows, just like right, a like a cinder block circle square. He's a he's a tweaker, so, so you know how you they know show up they... with total junk and act like it's treasure, <laughs> dude. Yeah, you, you give me twenty bucks for this. What the fuck is it? What I, you I mean, you know, it looks useful. <laughs> you know what the homestead is because we had one that uh, my uncle left me, and it was um, in the fifties. They gave away five acres to if if, if you, you could if you raised the structure. Sure, yeah. If you put a structure on it that was government built, they were usually like little pink buildings, and um, you lived out there. Yeah, the, you may, you know you've seen them all those little pink stucco buildings that are all no windows, no doors, and stuff. Is that like the 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 John Mellencamp song? I have, have no idea. I, why. I think what happens is if you buy those cheap cinder block things that they sell like at home depot and you make a house out of it the sun bakes it pink i know what mike's talking about 
Oh, it gets like orangish it. pink. Yeah, I think it happens. starts out cement gray, but you know, ten years <laughs> in the <laughs> desert, that could very well it turns be. Yeah. Pink. Deserts they, rough they, they on would, they everything. Give you, that's why they're out there, they, and that's why you see them all over the place because they were given to people, and then people just passed them down through generations and never got you know maybe somebody paid taxes for them so it stayed in the family but it was owned by a cousin five cousins yeah that's what this house that's what a lot of them are so the reason why i'm bringing up the desert so uh we went down to the desert for our last hurrah before sydney went to school today her first day and it was 107 i think on monday it was 111 yesterday we come home it's 107 in claremont <laughs> what the fuck is going on? <laughs> it's it's freaking uh, miserable. Is this crazy? It's going to be hotter too. It can't get hotter than today. Oh no, it's going to get hotter. It's going to get hotter at the end of the week. I Here watered our plants and they died anyways. They're just shriveled up dead. <laughs> and they died anyhow. <laughs> I felt like the police are going to come because I'm watering the plants on an off day. And water hel helicopter is going to fly over. And, and they told us, like, Chrissy signed up for some thing where they lower your electricity. Can you get a little discount? Oh, you're on the Browning. Browning. Well, no, they don't shut it off. It just goes. All of a sudden, everything just goes lower. Like the lights are dimmer, and the air conditioning goes slower. And it's—I think it, they turn down what's allowed to go to your house. It's called browning. Wow, that's weird. Mm. I know that they, we're on a flex warning, so that means yeah. What is flex warning? Well, you can be—you can have a rolling blackout where all of a sudden everything goes off. Well, I think they fixed it by doing this browning. Well, like maybe. I'm not. I'm not a big technical guy. I don't even read the fine print. She just said, and they always do it in winter. They always get you to sign up for these things in winter. Hey, you'll have an average cost savings of $180 a month if you sign up for this program. So who doesn't sign up for it when it's 48 degrees outside? Yeah. <laughs> you know I mean? Just put on a coat, throw an extra blanket on the. This isn't a problem. <laughs> I don't mind cold at all. Hot. No. Fucked. Cold is right. fine. Yeah, this is this is dumb, man. Being a grown man wearing shorts to work is like. So eh. I'm driving back late yesterday, and I'm looking at the temperature thing, and so it's like 111 in, in Palm Desert. We're coming up through Banning and Beaumont. It's like 108, and it's going in the right direction. We get to Yucaipa, Calamesa. It's down in the 90s, 95. Then we come down into San Bernardino, pops back up to 104. I'm like, holy shit, something going on out here. We get home. It's like 100, it was 104 at our house. It's like, it's like 97 right now. It's like nighttime. Uh, wait, at 730 at night, it's yeah. almost 100 degrees. Yeah. Jeez. I can check it again. That's at our front. I bought one of those things at the front because I want to teach the kids. Right now, it is 93 degrees at my house. That's crazy. It's it's 7.30 at night. You see, Chuck and I are down by the beach, and it's like I know, that's why you 20 know, you guys something are, years, 20-something degrees. It's not fair, but, um, you know, yeah. I can escape to Malibu, but Malibu's going to oh, be... It's, um, it's fair, Bob. It's fair. 
<laughs> yeah, it, it's it's the cost difference. I got a I got a little house five miles from the water for a reason, you yeah. know, because right. uh, when everybody was saying buy in Corona, but I was going, isn't Corona like a desert? <laughs> corona, <laughs> Corona, and not, not a lot of not a lot of water there. I like the water. Being a uh, inland hey, empire uh, resident, I uh, I understand. Nine months out of the year, it's great to live here. Three months out of the year, it really kind of sucks. And this hey, is the beginning. Hey, guess who lives out in La Quinta, which is past Coachella, um, Indio Coachella. You know, there's a community, yeah. out there, gated community, right? You yeah. Know, real nice, who right? lives out there? Lindsey Buckingham. Oh, I know. He played at the Killers concert the other night. Oh, really? Yeah, he played yeah. Go Your Own Way with the Killers. What do you really? think of the Killers? You know, Killers are kind of like a uh, what is it called evil uh uh desire of mine i kind of like that Dude, i don't Hot ever Fuss admit it, a great uh, record. Admit it. sammy town was a good record uh sam's what town is it called when you like someone but you, like something but you don't tell other people what's it called embarrassed no i know what you're i know what you i know exactly what you're saying we're just too old to pull it out of our brains right now it's <laughs> yeah it but is the Killers are a really good band. I'm telling you. I, oh, and I'm yeah. sure you know, friends of mine are like, what are you talking about? Like, they're a really good band. And and uh, and they made a record. This last record they made is about the opioid overdose, overdose crisis. And it's got songs about friends that died of opiates and stories about opiate uh, addiction. And I just thought, like, this band doesn't get enough respect. Guilty pleasure. Guilty pleasure. They are my guilty pleasure. When I love the it, killers. Just, when does it stop? When do when do we when does things like come to a stop with this? I mean, they're making the fentanyl pills and like they're calling them rainbow fenty now. You yeah, know, but I think I like like skillet. I like the fact that it's brightly colored because that's like all deadly things in nature. It should be a warning. Don't do any brightly colored drugs. <laughs> well, I haven't seen the rainbow thing, but I do know yes, that they're, I they're, talked to a kid today that took Zan seven Xanax today. And I said, how do you know there's not fentanyl in it? Like, how do you know what you're, what, I what don't. you're doing? Like, <laughs> like, wow. like how am I, I mean, I, 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 did we ever even get a hold of Xanax bars? How much is a milligram of a Xanny bar, Chuck? You're the expert. Is How it much is it? 20 milligrams? No, a, a Xanny bar is two milligrams. Okay. So the ones me and Mike were getting, what were they, Mike? A, one milligram. Right? I have no idea. I was just like that kid. I stuck them in my mouth. <laughs> I would, I would be dead nowadays. So I'm trying to do a compare and contrast of the old school and the new school. So if you take seven Zanny bars, that's 14 milligrams of Xanax. Yeah. And probably me and Martinis take, like I exaggerate, maybe you take 10 in a day. You take like three, smoke a bunch of crack. But we were smoking crack. Like that has to even out some of the Xanax, oh, uh, yeah, the volume, yeah. right? It does, yes. yeah. I don't think these kids are smoking crack. I don't think there's crack around. Is there crack around still? No. They're not well, there is. Enough. Yeah, they're not combining enough drugs. You know, though, it's <laughs> funny when when I ask, because I do assessments all the time. I just did one a day. Whenever I say cocaine powder, they'll always, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I go, I'll go, crack? Oh, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> it's just like, are you kidding me? <laughs> you guys, you haven't even tried it. I can you tell you've never tried know it. What you're missing? I because threw my life away. I threw my career away for that. What are you talking about? If if you had tried it, you would not say you would not be so disgusted when I asked. <laughs> but it's usually white kids, so I'm thinking it's racist. Yeah, now, it's racism. Wasn't it's cocaine, racism. Cocaine comes in flakes, or it used to come in flakes. Right. Well, yeah. Really good like, yeah. Well, yeah. It depends. Like, uh, depends but, on if you're scraping it off a brick or if. But it's I already really, been... I, I try to sympathize with the Xanax generation. I just would. The only reason I took Valium was to come down from crack. I would never. I don't think there's ever been a time where I woke up in the morning and go, God, I can't wait to take a bunch of those diazepams. Boy, they no, make you feel they, good. All alone, they make me go to sleep. That's all they, they just do. Don't, they're just nothing. It there's makes you no feel nothing. There's no euphoria that comes with it. At least not for me. It doesn't work. For, you know, for some people, well, I, the, I hear they the, get what that. What are the rules about it as a PDR and the PDR of the drug? Like it does not give you euphoria. You're exactly right. Like quaaludes give you euphoria. Coke gives you euphoria. Meth gives you euphoria. Heroin gives you euphoria. I've never done fentanyl, but apparently it must give you euphoria. Xanax does not do that. It gives you a sense of well-being or safety, I think. A false sense of well-being is what it gave me, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, and then I would take them to detox, and there's no telling how many I would take. I would just take however many there were. And it never seemed to do anything. You, yeah, you're talking about Valium because you said Xanax, right? You're talking yeah. about Valiums? Yeah, Valiums. Same thing. <laughs> yeah, um, according to the people that do Xanax, because I, I never saw it around, but they go, oh, man, you'd love it. And I go, yeah, but you like Valium. Valium was like, cool, if you've been up for exactly what you're saying. Like, Valium if I've been and Xanax, it's like saying heroin and fentanyl. It's the same thing. It's an you opioid. Know, but they go, oh, no, you never did it. But it's just one of those things where people want to have, you know, Let's drug addicts are weird. For all the idiots at home. There are only like four categories of drugs. I mean, I'm an idiot too, but there are also only uh, benzodiazepines, um, barbiturates, opioids, and hallucinogens. And then there is the alcohol marijuana category. I don't know what that is. By the way, they're making uh, marijuana drinks now. That should escalate things. But but so so understand that broken down within those is just the potency, the amount of morphine in opioid, whatever you're administering yourself, and the short acting versus long acting. That's the only difference yeah. in drugs. People act like these drugs are so different. They're the same fucking thing. And barbiturates yeah. are hardly ever around anymore. Like that would be chloral hydrates. Anything with eights, with the A-T-E-S. <laughs> <laughs> with a P-I-N is benzos. With an A-T-E-S is yeah. barbiturates. And then D-O-N, codeine, you know, morphine, O-N. O-N is all the opioids. Like it's not, there's not like 18 million different drugs. No. Why do people think there are? Because they're simple, and you want to try something new, and you want to get something well, with a new a name. Different and route of administration. There's only three routes of administration. Well, there's actually four, but one I just I've never even tried. 
You're not counting. You're not counting the butt. Anally. I, I said there's four. You can inhale, inhale, snort, eat, smoke. Oh, and shoot. Okay. But okay. Stop, stop, stop. Let's get it straight. So inhale is both snorting and smoking. Ingest is eating. Inject is intravenous. And what is rectum? Rectum? In, you can intra, rectumize intra, it. In, intrabutus. The um <laughs> actually those just the Wait, now we gotta take a poll here. I have never put anything up my butt to get high. Mike Mart, yep. you have the floor. Yes, sir. Works great. <laughs> Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed to just oh, I, ham up jelly chat. I would not be ashamed, but I just never thought it necessary. Well, there was so always we had some a whole way bunch better. of cocaine that got wet, and so we just rolled it up into balls and just fucking pinky right up the old shoe, man. Took it to the hoop. Took it to the hoop, man. <laughs> there you and go. The high start that from the rectum and move upwards? Wait, wait, wait. I want to explore this. So when you put the coke <laughs> up your butt and it starts absorbing your anus tissue or whatever, do you get a rush down in your lower extremities or does it go right to your brain? Uh, is it, it kind of straight into the bloodstream? Cause the anal walls are so thin. <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew Mike knew about this. I knew he did. <laughs> I was really hoping you were going to say like your butthole <laughs> quivered or something like, it, like, no, no, like man, it was cold. Like it. Chattering butt lips. Hey, listen, I was, is that, hey. Wait, did we cover the floor? So inhale, ingest, intravenous, or uh, whatever. Uh, yeah, inject, inject, but and I was there's very a term skeptical. for anal. Like you, I was very skeptical. I didn't want to try it. I was very skeptical. But, you know, when you want to get high and your friends are doing it, you're like, okay. I think you can put it in your eyes. Yes, you can. LSD for sure. Yeah. Well, I shot LSD one time. Made me throw up. Well, you know how they're saying that you can rub up against somebody with fentanyl and, you know, and and get it in your skin. And and your skin absorb it. Yeah, your skin absorbs stuff. Well, So anyways, can we stop acting like there's so many drugs and so many, there's like four routes of administration, basically. One that nobody but Mike Martin, a few freaks ever try. Oh, (laughs) You've just alienated alienated half our audience. Two people are pissed off right now. I would like to hear from people at home, how Mm -hmm. many people have used that fourth option of of, intra-anal intake? I heard (laughs) (laughs) intra-anal still like to yeah i did too i didn't want to i didn't want to i didn't want to bring that up i can't well, believe I, you're you know, it's not like we're gonna edit that out you can't say these gossipy <laughs> rumors but i heard that back in the 80s sure. so I'm, so so everybody oh, knows that one so so there's four routes of administration there's Four categories of drugs, I believe. I think there's a fifth one, but I'm just too dumb to know it. So, Chuck, go over it. There's opioids, well, you know what? hallucinogens, they, barbiturates, and benzodiazepine. What's the well, uh, what's pot? Why are you saying barbiturates? Because, because Dr. That's, Blum, spelled, who I worked with, always pounded it into your head. It is barbiturates. It's not it barbiturates. Is. And uh, Dr. Blum, who really? is my trainer, who's the, you know taught me everything, a lot of what I know, and Dr. Drew's partner... He used to say, when you're a professional, you pronounce the drug correctly. When you're a street criminal AA guy, that's what he thought of me. <laughs> like, like so then would, would Xanax be Xanax? 
No, it's just rape. X and X. I think it's because there's a lot of different barbiturates that you don't know the names of, but you but doctors always know that it's in that family because it ends with that. Yeah, yeah, the phenobarbital. Barbiturates. Yes, there's an R in it. There is. Yes. Never saw it. So what what are the categories of barbiturates? <laughs> well, it's like, can it's you like Google February. It? Can you Google what barbiturates are? Because I think I think quaaludes are barbiturates. Oh, I think they are. They don't make those anymore. And I oh, they're sedative hypnotics, Chuck. Sedative hypnotics are what we put um benzodiazepines under, barbiturates. Oh, okay, okay, barbiturates okay, under. Okay. And a lot of things because they're they're like a big group. And but the other so thing now is, our list is, is we, getting it, smaller. You're saying we're combining barbiturates and benzos under the category of sedative hypnotics. Then you got opioids, sedative hypnotic solutions. You only got three categories, three types of drugs, four routes of administration, and then all you're talking about is the is the potency of that said drug. Two milligrams, 10 milligrams, 50% pure, uh, uh, 50 times more potent than morphine. You, you, like, people make it too complicated. You're just a drug addict. You'll take anything. You prefer this route of administration. You prefer this euphoric feeling. But I'm telling you, I took Xanax and, and Valium and Diazepam my whole life it never gave me euphoria. It never, no, the, never the made pam, me the feel pams good. Don't, the PAMs don't do it. Elazapram, Okay, well, these kids are addicted to that. So what does that mean, Chuck? They're they like to be to numb. That they're addicted to something that doesn't make you feel good. No. How fucking crazy is that? Can that I tell is, you that? Do you remember there was a, I forget his name, Dr. Shannon. Dr. Shannon used to prescribe me, um, uh, barbiturates, the green ones, we called them uh, uh, chloral yeah. hydrates. Yeah. So I take those on tour. In fact, I was on tour with you uh, drink a couple well, of beers and take one of those. You're going to sleep with for Bologna's five hours. Monster with the yeah. monster. I was taking uh, those, the green, the some, whatever they were. And uh, I got a really bad barbiturate uh, addiction. I didn't even realize it. I was sending for him on the road, right? Because I didn't want to, because I didn't want a Jones. So, have you ever but, shot one? No, because the got, jelly, I, I, I put this needle in it, I sucked the jelly out. up my butt, Bob. Never even you, did that. I wish didn't. I would have now. So I did. <laughs> but anyways, Exodus. I want to I tell you about the uh, withdrawal from barbiturate. Um, what is it? It's it's insane, dude. I, it's the most insane withdrawal I've ever experienced in my life because I wanted to, like, I mean, I... It, I fantasized about mass murder and weird shit, and your mind just goes fucking crazy, man. I mean, not only do you, are you sick. How long did it last for? It lasted for about three weeks. Oh, my goodness gracious. It was you need, crazy. Some, it was you need crazy. some crack to take the edge off of that, Mike. I hope you took care of that. Uh, I'm sure I did, but... Uh, <laughs> But man, so, so let me really tell you my chloral hydrate thing. They used to give them out at, at Exodus Rehab for sleep, right? I cheeked one. I had a syringe in my suitcase. I I sucked the green, the slime out. You could barely get it in the syringe. And then there's no way to shoot that gooey stuff. So then I take the top off the syringe, leaked it slowly into a plastic spoon from the dining hall. 
this is like a four hour deal to try to get high in a rehab. <laughs> but I, but I could have walked out the front door and gotten high in 15 minutes, Chuck. Yeah. Tell me that we're not insane, <laughs> stupid people. And I, and I deserve to be called stupid. No sympathy for Bobby Forrest in 1991. So I, <laughs> so I sit there and I'm just sitting there holding it with both hands, waiting for the shit to drip out. Then I take a little bit of water to get the rest of it out. I stir that water around and get the green gooey stuff as best I can. The gooey stuff starting to connect to the plastic spoon. Then I suck the green colored water, whatever that I thought the pill was in. I shot it, missed, stung me so bad. I ran to the nurse's station telling them what I had done. I snitched, <laughs> snitched myself. I never felt a burning thing like that. Like I've missed with Coke. I've missed with meth. I've missed with heroin. Like nothing. Like I thought my arm was going to burn off. It was the craziest <laughs> thing. That's and what I went you get. And told them what I did. <laughs> I was just the worst. I was the worst patient a rehab could ever have. And I think that's why I'm so tolerant of other people. Right? I really am. Because like who does that? Who spends four hours? I excuse myself from going to the meeting because I didn't feel good. My had a tummy ache, and I stayed back. And then I went through this whole ritual of try to get the juice out of this chlorohydrate so I could shoot it. And then when I did, I missed, and I ran to the nurses' station and snitched myself out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, pathetic. That's why it's kind of good to have gone through it. You know, the people that forget what they were like when they go. Oh, they're just med seeking. Yes, that's why they came to treatment. They came to treatment. I remember for the, the meds. nurse. The nurse's name, Kathy Kilgard, I think. Kathy was her name. She was, wow. and she didn't even respond to me. She's like, "What? Did, what?" And I go, "My arm is something's wrong with my arm. Look at it. Feel it. Take, <laughs> take my temperature. Do something." I shot my coral hydrate, and something. I'm scared it's going to go to my heart. I was all like little baby <laughs> rock and roll guy. <laughs> like, like, was a baby. What a fucking baby. She just looked at me like, go so back stupid. to your room, you stupid. Aw. Yeah, poor little Bobby. <laughs> poor Bobby. He's so thought, you stupid. Remember, everybody thought things were going to go to their heart back then. We all thought, like, yeah, it's going to go to your heart. Air bubble. Air bubble's going to go to your heart. You know, yeah, yeah, uh, bacteria go to your heart, you die. Yeah. You know, no. <laughs> Everything goes to your heart. No, you're just an idiot. You're just an idiot. <laughs> and so, so when I hear these things about people addicted to Xanax, I'm just like, how? What are, what are they addicted to? Feeling, I don't know. Uh, what? So let's, let's do it. So you crush up a Xanax two milligram and you snort it. What do you feel like in five minutes? Nothing really feel a little good. You get the euphoria of having done something bad, I guess. So you got dopamine rush from the actual act that you did. And then it kind of comes over you and you feel like, okay. I just remember like it's an anxiety medicine. So whatever anxieties you have or whatever worries you have, they kind of get, filed down or they get doled yeah, out they doled out right yep what kind of high is that that's something to give away your life to like dude you shoot coke it feels like you're king of the world and you're ascending to an egyptian you know uh a pyramid like it's a spiritual experience for three minutes it's like being god on earth 
Like that's something to give away your life for, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going back to recommending shooting cocaine to, to the youngsters, but I'm are saying we? I understand addiction to cocaine. I don't understand addiction to Xanax. I just don't understand. Oh it. my god, that's our good parenting coming out at us. Because maybe certain neurobiologies have a completely different experience with it than I do. I'm certainly open to that. That they do feel euphoria and they do feel great. And I'm just a depressed narcissist who doesn't feel anything but kind of like, okay, I'm not as worried as I was an hour ago. Okay. Well, you, you know that we don't choose the drugs we like. It's our bodies and the way they react to them, right? So, yeah, but I liked a lot of them. So that's Me too. I, I get that thing. Like, I, I love alcohol. I, I would say my drugs of choice, which we don't even talk about it really anymore. My number one, if you got in Hazelden, when I went to rehab, they said, the way you can do, okay, you got every drug on this table. What's the first thing you want to do? And I said, drink, because I, I love drinking. So I want a beer, and then I want stimulants, whichever one. I'm not discerning. I would take Coke or meth. It doesn't matter to me. And then they said, but you say you're a heroin addict. I said, well, heroin addict, because I'm physically addicted to it, and it's a cycle. You, you have to think about money. You got to get dope, and you don't want to be sick and all that. But my choice drugs are alcohol and cocaine, I would say. But I'm a slave to heroin. And this is the first time I heard this term. Are you ready for it, people at home? Chuck already knows it. Mike, you've heard it several times. They diagnosed me polysubstance abuse. Poly. Poly. Just like a lot of these sexual people now. They're poly. They're polymorphic. I was poly. <laughs> I was no, poly they're, they're, long before they're all the new pan, terms. They're pansexual, not poly. oh, pansexual. <laughs> I thought what's poly? No, there's a poly. There's a polygamy. What is polygamy? Poly it means loving many. It means having a multiple relationship, not monogamy, but polygamy. Okay, many so, relationships. So I was that with drugs. I'm a polygamist with drugs. I love there you go. many of them. Many of them I love. Right. And I would say, like, the feeling of heroin, yeah, I like it, but I also like to move it around. I, I don't like to stay in the heroin feeling for too long. I want to move it around with some crack, move it around with some coke, move it around <laughs> with some alcohol, yeah. move it around with some sex, maybe, move it around with a shower. Yeah. Just move it around. <laughs> I don't want to just sit. But I know junkies. I, you know, like Lane, Lane was a guy who just like to be on dope and just sit there all day long. Just didn't give a fuck like all day long. You want to be the master of your high. I want to move it around. I like just like <laughs> I want to go to Malibu and I want to go to the desert. I just want to keep moving. I, I want to keep moving with my feelings of the drugs that I can create in myself. I want to keep moving from house to house and region to region. But there is no outrunning this heat wave. It's 96 <laughs> in Malibu. It's 96 in Malibu. It's 104 in Claremont. It's 115 in Palm Desert. Where are you going to go? What's it, Huntington Beach? 95? Yeah, it was like it was like 90 today. What the hell's going on? Is the end times here? Am I just not reading my Bible good enough? Is end times here? Is that guy the the big Christian guy that gives sermons on the beach in Huntington Beach? Is he saying we're living in end times, Chuck? Maybe we know. are. We, felt like, felt like there, in times today. It really there's did. a homeless shouting about it downtown. 
end times end times well yeah because he, he's a weirdy he wears a tri-corner hat and a cape and so he, here's uh, my experience with revelations i know a lot of people are brainwashed in christianity like be so fearful of revelations here's my parents said so i you know finally when you're about 13 and catechism or whatever they start introducing you to the really scary parts of the bible and that revelations is about the scariest when blood flows in the rivers and the, you know everybody's dying and crying out for christ and he comes down on a, a you know some magical carpet and you know and so revelations are big in the evangelical movement but in catholicism that i grew up in they don't really introduce it to you and they kind of soft sell it to you but you do read it out loud in class right so reading this stuff, and I'm just like, this is kind of scary shit. Is this really going to happen? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, this is scary shit. Uh, yeah. Is this inevitably where all this leads to? And so I go home and I ask my mom, <laughs> who was an atheist, to where I get my atheism from. I said, do you know about this book, Revelations, Mom? And she said, oh, yeah. And I said, do you think that's going to happen? And she goes, I don't think any of it happened to begin with i don't think that's gonna happen so that's my cynical mom like she didn't believe any mm. of the bible and this is an argument i had ongoing with her she was an atheist sent us to catholic school and i'm like why you're an atheist and she goes it's a better education than public school mm -hmm. that's simply why we <laughs> listen to all this scary shit and we're vulnerable to molestation by the priest all this shit because vulnerable. it's better education than public education <laughs> Because right. priests are way more rapey than other people. <laughs> they are. They are. Oh, come on, Chuck. Compared to public school educators, yes, there's a higher degree of, of molestation in the Catholic schools than there is in the public schools. Huh. That's a fact. I, I, I did not know that. Oh, yeah. It's a fact. So, well, you can just go by lawsuits. Look at all the billions of dollars the Catholic Church has paid out in lawsuits and public schools. They There is, a, I guess, apparently you can't fire a teacher for some of this stuff because the teachers union in L.A. is so powerful. But there's a school where a bunch of like, like not so great, I don't want to call them pedophiles, but certain people that have uh, interacted with their students inappropriately, but can't be fired because the teachers union is so powerful where they all just report there and they just sit in a room the whole day and they don't teach. They can't be fired, but they're not allowed around children. Did you, have you ever heard of this? No, that LA, sounds like, LA. it sounds like the midget colony. It sounds like something somebody made up. I don't no, know. no, no, it's real. It's real. Mike, look it up. There's a school where people on probation, people that aren't allowed to, to have, uh, uh, student contact but they can't be fired they go they report to the school it's somewhere down there hawthorne down the south part of la and they well, just what report a waste that. of money why can uh, you not so, be fired but anyways so getting back so my dad comes home and i'm just obsessed with this this thing scared the shit out of me reading this revelations out loud so my mm -hmm. dad i go in the den he's watching tv i go can i talk to you for a second he goes sure what's up and i said they read Revelations at Catechism today. And he goes, refresh my memory. And I said, <laughs> it's the end part where, like, you know, the whole world's burning on fire and the Antichrist and all this kind of stuff. And he goes, oh, that's a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so here's Thanks, this, Dad. So here's this <laughs> spiritual seeking son of theirs that they're sending to this fucking school. And you come home with some questions. My mom said, I don't believe any of it. It's all a bunch of nonsense. And my dad 
when refreshed to what Revelations is, said that's a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> and so, so from parents like that, ladies and gentlemen, you get me. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so did they? I'm just wondering, did they ever say that, the, like, that Jesus never existed? My mom did, yeah. So she doesn't. My so dad believed Jesus existed, and he was devout Catholic, but he picked and chose what he believed. He was. It was a weird era of religion. Like this is all religion before Reagan. Reagan and religion and showing it to politics and the evangelical movement, Jerry Falwell and all that, that just changed religion in America forever. Mike and I are a little older. We remember religion before that. And religion was religion and education was education and, and politics was politics and it was all kept in separate buckets. Did you hear that they were talking about in LA reinstating like, <clears throat> excuse me, like safety courts? For people's mental well-being, because yeah, of the and they're, they're going to hold them against their will. It's what that's Gavin Newsom's doing that on the state level. So isn't isn't that something that we had talked about in a for the homeless situation? Like there's yes, a lot of yes. mentally well, ill you people. Can, isn't you that? can start to screen out who are the addicts, who are the mentally ill, and then who are the people that just can't afford or don't have enough job skills to afford to live in Los Angeles. If you could get the three, if you could separate the mass of people and really address their needs, right? You yeah. can't, you can't get a job if you're fluidly psychotic. Correct. So you can't get a job. So you can't get a place to live. You can't get a job. If you're every single moment of every day is, is to furnish your drug habit. So you're never going to get out of homelessness and giving a fluidly psychotic mentally ill person a housing voucher or a place to live is not really helping them. Right. right. It's not, right. we've been really just servicing with, you know, with all this, Oh, they can't afford to have places to live. Yeah. There's a percentage of the people on the streets that can't afford a place to live, but it's not 55,000 people. You know, and <laughs> yeah. by my guesstimation, like, because of always the addicts talk to me, it's got to be at least half. Addiction is a is a part of the homeless problem in at least half of the population. Is that fair? Could we agree to that? Right? I, I, abs I absolutely could could go that high. With and, it. I'm, and, and I would say the mental health thing is lesser. I would say it's like 10%. Like of the really like people who just are not on planet Earth and are violent, and like the girl, the guy who attacked the CSI girl, or the guy who killed that woman in Highland Park, or the, or all the kind of like just like out of their minds crazy people. That's a minimal amount of the homeless population. I'll give it that, right? Right, but, right, and but the, I'm sorry, but the lesser bipolar people that get manicky for a couple of days and then kind of calm down and they abuse drugs, like that's really the hardest to treat. I think it's easiest to treat the schizophrenic and the mentally ill. You've got to kind of do what they're talking about doing in the courts, which is have mental health courts and kind of help these people, screen them, find out who truly is mentally ill and could be easily solvable by you know, 30 day shots of Depakote or something like that. And then address the addiction population and then address housing. 
But you can't just say it's all lack of housing. Not when you go to any of these places I've gone to, right? Yeah, yeah, and not when there's there's so much work available. It's not a work shortage. It's not a housing shortage. There, there well, is. It is. Well, here's the thing. I've worked with the homeless since I guess I don't know the early '90s. I was involved, and then I kind of became one, which is kind of a bummer. And then, <laughs> and then, if I couldn't beat them, join them type thing. If I couldn't help, I was just going to join them. So, so, but then I came out, and in, in the I guess uh, two thousand, like I don't know when early 2000s i was a part of my friend's place and and uh, hollywood arts foundation and i really started seeing a new generation of homelessness the original generation was very much based on racism i believe the traditional los angeles racism uh, uh, uh traditional homelessness was racist there was a lot of african-american vietnam vets who were just kind of cast aside. It was awful. And you could see the racism in it. Come in 2004, I don't see racism. I see a bunch of like white kids that are riding the rails and kind of, you know, trauma, trauma kids that are beaten and neglected and grew up in foster care and ran away from foster care. It was a whole different demographic of homelessness in 2004 than it was in 91 and 93. It really was. And it shifted. And now when you go anywhere, it's just a, it's multicultural, it's multi-ethnic, multi it's, it's, it's young and old, groups. it's yeah. all age groups. It's like crazy. And that just has to be related to addiction, mental health, the lack of mental health uh, treatment in America, um, the explosion of drug use in America, and... And like, and it is true. Like, it's impossible to live in LA. I was talking to Elijah today about it. Like, you can't live here. I can't live here. Like, this is becoming New York City in the in the two thousands. Like, only rich people can live here. Like, that's crazy. There's there's like a, the house that I lived in a majority of my sobriety from like ninety seven to like two thousand and three. So that was my first building of a life. That house, that guy was going to sell me that house for 450000 That house sells for 900000 now. You know, right. like 20 years later. That's, right. that's like impossible. That's impossible. I couldn't buy that house. Who can buy that house? Chinese investors. Is that, is that really? You hear about that, but is that? Really? Yeah, what's going I, I, on? I've been hearing about it from a lot of different folks, though, too. Also, because uh, they, they come in with cash offers. So you're not hearing it from the mortgage people. It's, the people that are buying are buying strictly investment and to, and to run people out of it. It's like. So if they it, flip it around, like I, I remember I paid $1,200 a month for that house, renting it. It was a big house. Mike, you were there, that place on Boylston with the front porch. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. house was $1,200 a month in. I lived there till 2003, I think, or four. Um, so $1,200 a month in 2004. That's 18 years ago. That house is probably $5,000 a month now. Who can live there? Well, I can't yeah. live there. I couldn't if, live there. If you bought a house in Brentwood or something for $6 million back, you know, 10 years ago, it's worth $22 million now, $25 it's, it's million. Just, so, yes, there's a bad economic housing problem. I don't think it's going to get fixed. I think probably look at new york city and see what happened they tried to make affordable housing they worked with developers 
to together. New York City's good at compromising and, and LA's not, right? So we'll probably get this slow drag of affordable housing. You know, they've been every politician since I, that I can remember talked about low income housing in LA forever. Where is it? I don't see it. What, no one wants it in their backyard. You know, that's the problem is that it lowers all the other property. But values. in New York City, so uh, a <laughs> friend of ours, Mike was talking last podcast about going to play Larry and, and Mike Goldsmith's um, birthday parties and stuff. So they live, uh, uh, Mike lived uh, up, up by Carnegie Hall, but, uh, but Larry lives in Tribeca. And they put me up in this hotel one time, and half of it was a fancy hotel, and half of it was low-income housing. And it was a beautiful building in Tribeca, right? If New York City's able to do that, how come LA's not able to do that? Because the do-gooders yell so loud, they, they defeat any kind of working together with developers. They really do. And in New York City, they're just like, here's the deal. You want to build that hotel? You got to have 100 low-income uh, little rooms. And the developer says, okay, can we have a separate interest for those people? And they say, yeah, you can have a separate interest entrance for those people. So those people aren't going through the hotel lobby, compromising, fixing yeah. problems. <laughs> this is but, not what LA is good at. Okay. But okay. So in defense of LA, New York just put a, a 21 and over age limit on buying whipped cream because there might be some ni nitrous in the can. You have to show ID <laughs> to buy fucking ready whipped whip. cream. <laughs> um, there's low income housing that goes into uh, Long Beach. It's Long lot, Beach is great. Long Beach is a, a separate city, that's Mike. Because of, that's because of our um, our mayor, Robert Garcia. He's that was his priority, and that's what he. Well, did. I don't know how long he's been mayor, but but there were there was a lot of incentives in Long Beach to start that rehab. I was trying to start there. The government was very helpful, as opposed to L.A. They make it almost impossible. Well, it's Los Angeles County, but it's a different. No, city of LA makes things impossible. Oh, city right. of Beverly Hills, like try opening a rehab in Beverly Hills. Good luck with that. Good luck <laughs> with that. Right. <laughs> Fat chance of that. Right. <laughs> but Long Beach was like, this is great. We're really excited about your project and whatever. I never, because I've always been in LA where they treat you like you're a criminal or you're a rich guy you, or whatever. Why didn't you do it? Redgate is still there, man. Redgate. Well, this was that one ever. I told you about, and it just oh, yeah. fell apart. It fell apart because uh, I'd rather not get into the details, but everybody thinks like fear of missing out is what my friend calls it. So if somebody like me wants to have a rehab in this building, that's kind of a failing rehab that makes the people who has a failing rehab think I'm see something they don't. And well, if they're going to miss out, good. but yeah. they're going to miss out. Right, right, right. And the, and the price changes and the deal changes. And like, and at certain points, like, dude, I want to do this. I want to help people. But you, you know, think I'm some rich guy that that's ripping you off. I'm not, I'm just a dumb drug counselor. That's been pretty fortunate, but you're making it like impossible to figure this out. Right. Because it was, it, I, I think you went by there, Chuck, didn't you? Didn't you come with me one day there? 
I know the guy that I know who I know oh, who yeah, you're you talking worked, about. You worked there. I worked for him for. You a while. know what I'm talking about then, and and not only him, he's great, but there's some relatives that were a little bit. But that was that was an all female facility at that time. Though. Yes, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I and and I was sympathetic to that. Like, I don't want to throw the Saskas out. Like, we got to figure out how to do this. Like, maybe. You, don't admit but then it gets to a point where if you don't have like how how many beds was that place 40 40 something i, I don't even know if it was that big yeah i'm thinking 35, it was like 30 something yeah. yeah and it was a mess you gotta admit like i was crazy for wanting to take it over wasn't i kind of no because you know when you're when you're not living in the mess you can see how it can be cleaned up Problem is right. people people live in the mess for so long they can't see a way out. They just accept it as being what it is. You know, that's like But Long Beach was nothing but cool about it. Cause I had to go down, we had to go down to the zoning commission and talk to them, like, we want to do some of this stuff if we if we buy this building, are we gonna be able to do it? And they were like, Yeah, great. Oh, oh yeah. They were uh -huh. just like great. Instead of like, you know, you get you get just nothing but roadblocks from the city of Los Angeles. It's kind of crazy. They make everything almost impossible. They really do. I'll give you yeah. an example. We have a 17-bed facility, right? We have a 17-bed facility in Malibu, but it's sober living. We asked to move the 17-bed license from West LA to Malibu. They're like, are you kidding me? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you gotta talk They're to crazy. You gotta talk to this person. You gotta talk to that person. You gotta do this. You gotta do that. And they make it so it's better just to let the one go and close it up, and then try to license the thing in Malibu. It's just roadblock after roadblock. It's, oh, it's kind of crazy. Beds, beds are hard to secure in a lot of places. That's that's the gold. That's what everybody's after. They're after the the licensure. You know, well, multiple beds. Well, it's going to yeah. go back to multiple beds. When I went to Hazelden, there was a hundred beds there. When's the last time you heard of a hundred bed facility? Dude, I I can't I can't imagine being involved in something that big. I can't imagine the number. Although I've noticed, like when we were bigger, when we were more near eighty clients, it seemed like there were less problems. Right, or, or you're less stressed. I don't know, but Hazelden is divided up into five pods. There's two women's pods, three men's pods. They each have 20 beds, right? And it all is built on a spoke. So these halls go from the pod to the group rooms, to the cafeteria, to the lecture hall. And you walk down these hallways to the main part, and then you walk back down them. They got it pretty well down. I, I've never, I like I've never been to Betty Ford. I've been to the <clears throat> detox, but it used to be at Eisenhower Medical Center. But I heard now they have a detox at actual Betty Ford. Mm. But um, they used to detox you and then just send you across the street. I think there was like 60 beds at Betty Ford at one time. I think it's less now. But I mean, there used to be big places. Exodus that I'm talking about had 35 beds. You know, Exodus when it moved to Dan to, to to Broadman had like thirty beds. There's no thirty bed inpatient rehabs anymore no, because the state and the city and the fire marshals and everybody makes it impossible, and the lawsuits makes it impossible. So you have these little 
you know, the what 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 you you got became... everybody spread out. You know, you got everybody spread, and I this does something. I like I like it when it's a single. Like I liked PRC the way it was set up. I like the idea that this is where you are. You're at rehab. It doesn't feel like yeah. Vacation. PRC was like that was almost <clears throat> inhuman. PRC. PRC had sixty beds in that little. You'd go insane in there when it would get to. Because I was the program director there, and I was hired to like get it going and get it full, right? So when I came in, it had like 24, 26 clients. And after about four months, it had like 52. So it was running at 52. It was insane. Every time you turned around, there was somebody in your face. That building was too small to have 60 clients and like 20 yeah. staff members in. That's, <clears throat> excuse me, maybe too many clients. But I like the idea of it being its own campus. I How much the, did the one in Tustin that you worked at? How many beds were in that place? I think it was uh, 22 12, and 12, 12, 12 and 22. Eight, 12, 8, and I think 6. Okay, so 14 and 26. That was a good amount of people for that place. If you were running at 18, 20, that's a good amount. It's it's enough it's enough money to keep a place running and it's not so much to have anybody be overwhelmed. Well, but the six bed model, which is what everybody's got now, it just like you just isolated. Like you oh, know, it's, six, it's if horrible. It's, if it's six people and two of them are older and they just kind of stay away from the kids, and then you got two motivated kids and two kids that don't want to be there. It's just no way to get harmony. There's no way to get what you need going in a rehab center. There's just no way to do it. No. And even if, if you have six older clients, I tell you, we had the greatest patient population ever. I had right before COVID. They were all like grown adults. They were in their forties and fifties they were all motivated and it made me have hope, but it only lasted for like 35 days. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause they all had work to get back to. They were responsible. <laughs> they weren't trying to move in or get a job there. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was, but it was like the groups, everyone was on time. No one was stressed. Everybody was motivated. They were taking in my lecture, people were taking notes uh -uh. I haven't experienced that <laughs> for like 20 years, right? <laughs> and and this one lady, she's a Haitian lady, and she would say, um, could you repeat that, Bob? And I'd be like, yeah. I don't, and here's a bummer about my lectures. I don't know what I said. Right. So then I would have to ask. What was it about? Members, <laughs> what is it that I was saying? <laughs> right. But to have attentive, motivated, mature life experience clients like there's nothing like it and that's what i think the state thinks are in these six bed places that's not who's in there yeah no you know and <clears throat> like a couple of our properties are two houses on on a lot so it's six beds and six beds but according to the state you can't you mix have have them both, yeah they can't mix i know that and so that is just such I, i've never well, heard and and here's the thing so cry help has i think 82 beds impact has like less i think they only have like 70 beds so the two places that are, could make a dent in this homeless addiction population it's only 140 beds 
American hospitals, another 50 or 60, 200 beds for 30,000 drug addicts. How does that math work, Chuck? I've been uh, telling slowly, people this. Slowly. Like this goes back to Eric Garcetti. He was my acquaintance. Like he, like he was my, I thought my friend, I helped on his first campaign for city council and we we're walking around. He goes, how come you're so dedicated, Bob? And I said, cause you promised that you're going to deal with us addicts, right? And addicts really got him, uh, his city council seat. There was just one moment where he was kind of behind. He had always thought he's going to be a politician. And then right when he was starting to run for offices or look where his angles or opportunities were, his dad lost the OJ Simpson trial. So the Garcetti mm. name was just like, holy shit. And so he ran for city council where Jackie Goldberg's seat was in first district in LA. And that's Silver Lake, Echo Park, Los Feliz, East Hollywood. And so I get brought on because my friend was working for him. And I said, I said, you know, there's an untapped AA community that doesn't vote. And there's an untapped musicians who live around here that are just looking for a politician that will really answer their phone calls and and show concern for the issues they have and main number one is we need more county beds for addiction treatment right in the la county at the time only had 400 county beds in in 1999 or whatever 400 has that gone up or do you know if that's gone up or down it's gone way up. It's like it's like four thousand now. So it has gotten better. But he no help to him. So he so then I <laughs> we started we started these voter registration drives at tropical outside. It's not illegal. Like all the AA people, like here's a guy that's gonna look out for drug addicts. That's how I sold him. He we Thorny sponsor, Mike, you know you played a concert for him. You don't even remember at at at, at uh Spaceland it was a benefit for Eric. Oh, yeah, I remember. He was there, and Eric met everybody, and he was going to be this advocate for the addiction population. So he wins by a narrow margin. I believe it was the drug addicts and AA community and musicians of Silver Lake and Echo Park that helped him over the finish line. And just never takes our calls. I, I, I even went to his office one time, and I said, I'm Bob. I worked on the campaign. Is there any way to get an appointment to talk with Eric? Because we had talked a lot when we were walking door to door, you know, and they're like, do you have an appointment? I said, no, I'm here to get an appointment. And they said, who are you with? And I said, I'm with me. I'm a citizen. He represents me. Oh, well, you know, and they just gave you the cold shoulder, right? So then he ascends to mayor. And I don't ever see him again. I was walking with him door to door in Silver Lake, handing out, introducing him to the community and did a fundraiser for him at Space Line. Then I never see him again for 10 years. I'm at this fundraiser for the music school and he's there and he says, hey, I know you. And I said, yeah, you, you, you sure did. I'm not and, helpful to you and anymore. He's friendly, so you don't need me. He's friendly. And, but he did kind of look out because the county beds did rise but it was just so typical of i think a politician gets pulled in a million directions once they get elected that's for sure happens but we do have more county beds but not nearly enough right not nearly enough if you want to tackle the homeless addiction population in LA. you you, you want to deal with addiction and you want to deal with the the 
the freaking sporadic, strange ass violence. You need that. You need to have the help available, not not the jail beds. You need to have the mental health, and you need to have the um, addiction stuff. Yeah, I sadly, that, sadly, I think people are going to have enough, and Castro's or whatever his name is. Uh, the Republican guy is going to get in. He's going to go back to tough on crime, and it's just going to go back to the way that it was. Instead of this possibility where we could have ten thousand county beds, but as long as the homeless advocates are going to fight for drug addicts to have apartments, that's never going to work. It's never going to work. I live down there with these people. It's never going to work. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You can't no, get we- Mike. How many times when you were using? Were you given a great place to live and you fucked it up? How many times, Mike Mart? Oh, lot. Every time. Every, <laughs> yeah, basically every time. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I can't. Be, I, I people say, hey, you can sleep, you can stay in my guest house for a couple months until you get on your feet, and I'd be like, oh, great. And then I just like seven months later, I'd be in there like looking out the window, all coked out. And they'd be like, Bob, you can't stay here anymore. I was like, you know, I'm just, I'm waiting on a record company check. I'm just just waiting for, I'm just sure. Until, you know, they come in and break the door down. Like, you got to get the fuck out of here. And then they'd hate me for a long time because you can't give a drug addict a place to live. They're not, you got to get them off drugs first. First, you got to get off drugs. Having a place to live is not going to help a drug addict. Yeah, unfortunately. Unfortunately, I mean, safe, safe shooting sites and places to live aren't going to solve the problem. Safe shooting sites, I, I think, could. I don't know. I'm going to go on this tour pretty soon. And probably beginning of next year, I'm going to go um, up to Canada and they're going to show me the safe injection sites and the housing things they have. You know, what's interesting is Seattle has the same problem we do. They they get out of it four months out of the year because it's freezing cold. But for the summertime, it's just as homeless encampments as LA. Where do they and go right, in the rain? They just go, you know, you got little spots. You can go in the malls. There's a lot of malls. See, that's the other thing about rainy cl- climates. They have big, like, skyways and malls and, like, you know, indoor areas. You know, you never... I mean, Paul Westerberg wrote one of the greatest songs Skyway. about yeah. Skyway. Yeah, there's. I guarantee. I haven't been to Minneapolis in ten years. Maybe I guarantee you, there's homeless people sleeping in the Skyway right now. <laughs> I guarantee you. I guarantee it. Yeah. Little tents up there. It's like, hey, what's happening? Um. So so I do believe you got to get people off drugs before you start talking about housing or even jobs. Like if you're on drugs, you're not going to be able to keep a job. It's really hard. I tried it. It's really hard. I couldn't even keep the job. You want to know the job I had, Chuck? I had to sing in a band once in a while. I couldn't keep that job. I know. How are you going to show up at Starbucks? Like you can't even be in a band. Mike couldn't even hold on to his equipment for eight hours. <laughs> I know. Poor Mike <laughs> I will never forget Bogart. And he was so <laughs> confident. No, it's going to sound fine. I'm just going to play my acoustic direct. It's going to be fine. Yeah. But that's not addressing the issue that me and Rob went and got your Marshall amp. Where is it? Oh, you know, I'm broken. I have to take it to this guy's house. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. And he's the lead guitar player in a rock band, Chuck. And he's going to play 12-string acoustic. 
there were three other lead guitar players. <laughs> <laughs> no, at that time it was just you and Tony. There was only Tony playing his magical tuning. Dude, come on. You had Tony fucking hanging, holding down the fort and you playing a 12 string acoustic. Did we get paid? Yes, we did. I rest my kick. You just got to get up there and uh, the clock is ticking. 50 minutes. <laughs> 50 minutes. I remember that. That was in most Sloaney sponsor contracts. We had to play 50 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it was a therapeutic it was, hour. It was scary. It was scary amount. Yeah, isn't that interesting? A session is fifty minutes, Mike. <laughs> uh, <laughs> therapeutic <laughs> hour. Hey, you go on at midnight and it's twelve seventeen, and you're just like, "What's seventeen minus fifty? <laughs> We've got thirty three minutes left." <laughs> and plus, and then you got to get paid, and then you got to find dope. There's like, uh, you're. You're an hour and a half away from where you want to be. You see, now it's starting to sound like work. I understand why you couldn't do it. (laughs) It was only, you know, I I tell this final story, and this is a good one. We're playing McCabe's. I owe Frenchie like 500 bucks. I owe Maria, this other girl, like 500 bucks. And I keep telling them, I'm playing McCabe's. You guys come, come up, pay you, and I'll buy more. I'm going to make a bunch of money at McCabe's. I'm playing McCabe's. So I'm at McCabe's on stage and I can see Frenchie and I can see Maria and Brian, her boyfriend. And I, in my mind, while I'm singing, Chuck, I'm doing math and I'm getting, uh, I believe we got, I think we got 1500 a show, uh, two shows, 3000 bucks. And it was like four of us. So I'm getting, what is one, I'm getting $750, Chuck. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I owe a thousand what's out in the audience. And I'm planning on having a good time for a couple of days with the money I'm earning. I've played such great emphasis on the McCabe show. Do you understand? Mm-hmm. It's always easy to say I'm making $3,000 and you forget, well, Martine's playing, Mike's playing, somebody else is playing. So... It's not really technically $3,000 for me. So, so I get this idea. John Shalou was the owner and booker of McCabe's at the time. And he loved me. And so I had Mike. I remember this very vividly. I said, Mike, why don't you sing one of your songs? And he sang Bobby Kennedy or whatever. I ran upstairs, found John Shalou. I said, we need to get paid before we get off stage. He goes, why? I go, John. Please don't ask questions. We need to, I need you up in that upstairs room that you walk up the stairs to with the money and the thing you sign. And he goes, he goes, is, is some, uh, is, is something, uh, is some, are he you in trouble? He was the nicest guy. In he the was world. the nicest guy. He's like, are you in trouble? Like, and I was like, I'm not, John, listen to me. And Mike's like singing the second chorus of the song. And I know mm-hmm. I got to get back downstairs. I was like, John, listen to me. You got to just, have the cash and have the thing to sign. And then we're going to cut up the money because I got something really important I got to do. So I go back down. I sing like five or six more songs and we're doing see them. My grave. And I, during the down part, I swear to God, this happened in the down part where you're taking it down and I'm going to tell you how I'm going to die. I run upstairs and John's sitting in that little room and he's got the money. He's got the thing. And I'm so happy Chuck because I have a plan. Here's what I, my plan is. 
So I go downstairs, I finish off, see that my grave is kept clean. Everybody's loving it. People are cheering. Great, great, great. I run upstairs. I sign the thing. I take $750 and I walk out the front door before the crowd even knew we were done playing. So I'm out and gone with my money. Right? The drug, okay. the drug addict has left the building. And so John's going to pay Martin and Mike or whatever. I'm out. My car is parked up Pico by the restaurant. I get in my car. Who comes running up? Frenchie. Where the fuck are you going? <laughs> <laughs> Like, dude, I'm headed to your house. I'm headed to your house. Uh, yeah, right? sure. <laughs> and I drove away, and he was like standing by my car. He's like, Frenchie, the nicest guy in the world, right? And eventually, I think I did give him like a hundred bucks later that night, but of the five hundred uh, I owe, hundred, but hundred of the five hundred. That's what he gets for putting out that much credit. That's right. That's pretty good. That's what he gets for fronting his all that. I used to sell that. I used to make people look in the paper and see the sold out sign and say, dude, it's already sold out. The money's <laughs> in the bank. The money's in the bank. I just have to be not dopes. You don't want me dope sick, so I can't play that concert. So what are you, you know, talking about? You know that John Chalou was a record producer, right? No, I didn't know that. He yeah, was the John, nicest guy. John Chalou produced like Grammy Award winning The Blind Boys from Alabama. He produced, oh, really? Yeah, the Grammy album that they won. He was the nicest guy. He, this, uh, he produced records for Capitol. He was amazing. He had a look in his... Chuck, this this look was from... I'm going to name all the angels in my life. John Chalou was one. Um, Eddie from Sugar Shack. Paul Tillette. Uh, Hale Milgram. Peter Philbin. Um, Bob Buziak. These people love me, Chuck, and they wanted to help me. And that they had, they would have this look in their eye of just confusion and sadness. Uh -huh. <laughs> <Everyone>. Yep. <laughs> like confusion and sadness, right? Brendan yeah. Mullen, like, Bubby, what are you doing? And I'd be like, Brendan, I know what I'm doing. Trust me. It's, oh, yeah, all, it's all in the plan. It's all in the plan, Brenda. Jesus. And just this love that was that was given towards me, and the reason why I bring it up is this love and compassion towards me, and I just didn't know how to deal with it. The only thing I knew how to do was lie and cheat and 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 do drugs. And so when we're dealing with this homeless population, the people dealing with it don't know what they're dealing with. They really don't. I'm not trying to be a mean guy or whatever. The, the, you just need to know that all your good intentions, all your love of somebody, all your wanting to get them an apartment, all your compassion towards the horrible, horrible circumstance of their situation is not going to help them. Mm. It didn't help me. Right? And then what does it say in the big book? Eventually, all will flee from the alcoholic. And that's what happened to me. And that's how I turned my life around. I'm sorry, but that's how it works. Yeah, unfortunately. Unfortunately, it's a painful road. And it's hard to do as a parent, as a friend, as a loved one. But as a I'm community glad. member, it's hard to see people uh, you know, suffering out in front of your house. It's hard. Yeah, that, oh, yeah. It's hard to see in your own family, too. You know, it's just like I, I, that's one of the things I always thank my dad for is thank you for having the, you know, the balls to shut me down. Finally, I, I there's no way I would have gone. 
to detox the last time if I would have been allowed back in that house. I would have found a way. Like someone like Flea, for instance, do you know what it takes to make him really angry at you? You've got to be just the worst person on earth. He's the most kind, like thoughtful, helpful, loving guy. And I forced him to say, Bob, you can't come to my house. You need to leave my house. Right? Like, Mm. that's what addicts do. And this idea that we're just going to fix it because we're going to build some housing. Like, how naive are these people solving these problems? Right? We need, mm. we need people like us on the front lines addressing their bullshit, holding them accountable, holding them accountable to stay in treatment, to stay committed. When you fuck up, like herding kittens back to the start, herding kittens back to the start. Mm-hmm. And it can be funny and it can be aggressive and it can be whatever it needs to be. But the addiction treatment community knows how to fix this problem. And guess what? We're never asked. <laughs> we're never asked. No, we're not invited to that party. How the come? Only, Isn't well, it crazy? The, the only place the where on we the might have some drug value. Addicts, how come it's a bunch of social workers dealing with it? Because as an addict, you've discredited yourself. You know, even if you get into recovery, recovery it doesn't guarantee that you're going to be upstanding. Well, it gets back and to it, Gloria Scott. Gloria Scott was the greatest counselor I ever knew. She could say, Bob, you are so full of shit in the most loving, kind way imaginable. Right? So, and and I you gotta admit, some of these people at these Alana clubs saying you're full of shit, it's just mean, it's cutting, it's meant to be hurtful. But the truth is, that's what addicts need to hear. You are so full of shit. It's just unbelievable. Right. But it had, yeah, I think you, that is so on point that it has to be from a place of compassion and caring. Of love, humor, it humor. Has, has to be. If it's not a personal relationship, if I just walk up to somebody and I go, oh, fuck you, it's going to come <laughs> off a lot different than if I go up to somebody who I know who knows me and I go, oh, fuck you. They know. They know it's just different. And so that's the, that's the biggest problem is people not getting to know people and they're not being real relationships. Sounds like Gloria made real relationships with everybody she got to know. She would not have done Facebook or Instagram. She would have said that's a bunch of bullshit. Uh, she would have put Che Guevara on there and be done with it. So, <laughs> so anyways, I'll leave you with this until we can start kind of coming together as people and see people's strengths like the addiction treatment community as part of helping the homeless community unless we can start to have mental health treatment um not not forced upon but kind of strongly suggested upon the schizophrenic who are you know causing great distress and worry. I mean, I, I just talked to a girl today that moved here from Miami. She's scared to walk around LA. Like, are you fucking kidding me? You're from Miami. It's pretty scary down there. Watch the news though. That's <laughs> what, what <laughs> the news is rough. I put on the morning news this morning and there's people getting run over and people getting shot and people getting stabbed. The news paints a really ugly picture of, I don't know. She's she's like a she's like a Gen Zer. She ain't watching the news. She just walks down, lives in Hollywood, and just walks down Gower and to Hollywood Boulevard. And she's like, God, this is like 
Night of the Living Dead around here. Yeah, what, <laughs> you what, what Shucks is saying is it's gotten very bad. And everybody it, knows it. Everybody knows it. You know, it's and it's defunding. When you defund a police department $150 million, you're not going to have quality fucking people. Well, I think I think the police feel like like, okay, you want you want a world without police? I told you what the police said when they burned our outpatient building down. Yeah. Like so they don't the have girl the asked, like, so what so did I tell you, Chuck? So so the girl that works with me, she said, she said to them, uh, so what's the next step? And they said, like, what are you talking about? And she had the paperwork or whatever they got. And she said, Well, so what's what happens now? And they just said, We don't know. And they drove away. <laughs> <laughs> not not really our problem. Like that not, is a society. That's a society who said defund the police. That's what you get. Mm -hmm. Right? What do you want us to do? Right. Yeah, right? we don't have time. Don't, don't call us when you get, you know, when your house gets robbed. Right. Don't, and don't so so I think that we can solve this, but I really think that everybody listening needs to implore their, their local governments to involve treatment professionals in solving the homeless problem. Unless they have us involved, they're not going to solve it. Not going to. They're yeah. not going to. If I was allowed to pitch a tent on Hollywood and Gower and just live there and like smoke crack and shoot heroin and jack off or whatever they do in those tents, um, I'm sure they're not reading Dostoevsky. That's what I'm sure they're not doing. <laughs> they're not reading Dostoevsky right? and jacking off. Oh, <laughs> Wait, we've got, what, they but, only have one hand. What are you saying? <laughs> but I you know why? Hey, you it's know why? made to believe like they're just it's these too long of a book. <laughs> these unfortunate geniuses that are just forced to live in tents. Like, no, I know what's going on in those tents: sex and drugs and rock and roll, sex and drugs and hip hop. That's what's going on. Like, and, and there's this one, one spot when you go peace. to Staples Center. When you go to Staples Center, you get off on Ninth Street. I think it's like by the pantry, the street the pantry's on. So like a one way street, you're going south on the one ten. You get off there, and there's these glowing tents. They have like uh, LED lighting inside. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, it's right insane. on the electricity. It's insane. I have no idea. They've tapped like, into the city because because they're reading, Bob. <laughs> They're, reading they're studying. If I was homeless and I had all the time in the world, I would sit in my tent and decide to read War and Peace. You would finally have time. <laughs> <laughs> now we know what there? Mike would do. Are they reading in there? I know well, what I was doing know. in my car. I lived in a, my car and then I sold that car and then I was living in a stolen car. That was a little more anxiety riddled. Um, oh, funny, funny story. So a friend of mine had a bunch of warrants <laughs> out for his arrest. This is, you're going to love this. Yeah, and I thought of this when I had the stolen car, but I was too scared. I thought that might be more trouble. I, you know, I wasn't a very good criminal. Like I wasn't even a criminal. I was like a dumbass trying to get by. <laughs> but my friend, he had, he, had, he had a bunch of warrants for his arrest and they kind of, his car was registered to him. Yeah. He, he had money. So it wasn't like an issue, like my issue. So, um, he had been to Graceland where they had the Elvis number one license plate you could buy at Graceland, a Tennessee mm -hmm. license plate. And he put that in his car on his car in Arizona. And he just drove around for two years with that license plate on it and never had any trouble. 
Like he had Elvis Presley license plate. He bought at Graceland <laughs> <laughs> on his car that he had warrants for his arrest under the registration of. And he just drove around and never got arrested. And, uh, and so I, I went to try to do an intervention on him one time and it's the car in the driveway. And it's got this Elvis Presley license plate and that, and, and I'm a junkie. And so when we finally found him and I, I said, dude, what's up with your license plate? And he goes, <laughs> cool. I got it. That's at Graceland. And the like, cops out here are so stupid. They just think I'm from Tennessee. <laughs> oh, God dang. But so I was, when I was living in a stolen car, all I did was kind of uh, smoke crack, shoot heroin, and listen to talk radio. That's all I did. Mm. So, so I'm assuming so really a, a car isn't much different than a tent. Uh, you know, and the reason well, why you wanted a car is because the cops are after you all the time. You had to keep moving. Well, yeah, it's a tent you can drive. You've only got two of those three things, Bob. You know that, right? You still listen to talk radio in your car all the time. I know, but basketball now. It used to be, um, what was that guy? Tom Likas. I used to love that guy. Yeah, Yeah, that guy was good. And Howard Stern. Howard Stern was on regular radio, 97.1. Yeah, you have to listen to John and Ken and all these nutballs. Yeah, I don't. I don't do. I just NBA XM radio. All right, you guys. Good cool. right. show. I love you. But let's try to. Let's try to. Now I think I committed to helping the homeless problem in LA. I hope nobody yep. takes this seriously. Uh, I hope, you know what? I don't. Oh, think if, you, if you want to get a hold of Bob, watch the movie. Oh <laughs> no God! gives his phone number and yeah, like uh, call him up. He loves it when you call it. <laughs> yeah, I do like it. I, I do like it. The two kids All called right. me today. I had good conversations with. Them. Okay. Good night, night, guys. See you later, Alligator. Good night, everybody. Bye. Come coming soon. Bye.